Glad you're with us tonight, and tonight we're starting a new series. As the year has started, you already see it on the screen. And the idea is, is the TV show or the show that some of you have been watching, The Chosen. Tonight I want to take a quote from that, and that's what I want to do for the next few weeks is look at favorite, my favorite quotes, not necessarily your favorite quotes, but mine, and kind of build some lessons off of that. If you have not seen it, you don't need to see it in order to understand these lessons, but it obviously does help a little bit. And if you, if you say, you know what, I tried to get into The Chosen, I watched an episode and it was as dry as a bone. Let me tell you, the first episode and a half, dry as a bone, and then it gets better. And if you watch two or three at a time, it really helps. Now, obviously, it does not tell you it doesn't have just the scripture in it. It has to add some things in order to put it all together because the Bible's not written that way. And so we look at it kind of in a big picture. But wow, is it powerful as it logically, I might even say, goes through different ideas that make sense. And one of those things that you might remember is in John chapter 3, Nicodemus goes to, to Jesus late at night and and he asked Jesus, you know, about being the son of God and about being saved. And Jesus said, unless you're born of water and the spirit. And you may remember that from John chapter 3. But obviously it seems that Nicodemus is trying to figure out who Jesus is and what Jesus wants. And is he really who he says he is? So in the first season or two, Nicodemus plays a big part in the whole series because they're trying to, he's going around and researching about Jesus. And then he has a second meeting with Mary Magdalene. He had known Mary Magdalene back when she had, when she had demons. And now she no longer has demons and he stops her after Jesus has performed a miracle and talks to her. And there is an incredible line there. It's not in scripture, but it sure makes sense. She says, you don't understand. I follow him. He doesn't follow me. That is powerful, folks. I wonder how many of us, while we would never, ever say Jesus follows us, I wonder how many of us live our lives that way, though, assuming that we'll just kind of bring Jesus along. And that Jesus is going to adapt to whoever I am or whatever I want or whatever make me, makes me feel good or whatever makes my friends feel good or whatever is easiest for me. And just assume, while well, we would never say that Jesus follows me. Well, we know that's not right. We know that what we are called to do is to follow Jesus. And so I think this line is a really powerful one. And it makes me think back to Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus is in a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now that doesn't mean a lot to you, except what it means is Caesarea Caesar, Philippi, Philip. Caesar Philip was the one that that whole region was named after. And, and it was a place where Caesar Philip was worshipped along with that goat god that people would worship as well. And then in Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This is perhaps by Christians, not by people on the outside, but by Christians, one of the most quoted verses of all. Christians always talk about this. Unless you, know, unless you get up and carry your cross, or, you know, I've been carrying my cross, or you, that guy over there needs to carry his cross, Christians quote this. But it is also perhaps one of the most 
forgotten verses when it comes to the way that we live. Lots of people talk about following Jesus. Few people actually take up their cross and follow Jesus. It's talked about. It's just not always done. So what is the context of all of this? The context back in Caesarea Philippi, as we talked about, and you remember there's a famous encounter there Jesus has with his apostles where he says, who do they say that I am? And they, and they say, well, some of them say you're, you're Elijah, and some of them say you're Jeremiah, and some of the people, they say you're John the Baptist, and, and some of the people say you're some other prophet. And then Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And that was the big kicker moment, right? Because you may remember what's happening. Peter declared that Jesus was, was and is the Messiah. He said, you are the Christ of God. That word Christ means Messiah. Do you know what else Messiah means? King. Caesar, even Caesar Philip, along with other Caesars like Augustus, called themselves the Messiah. They said, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. And Peter here is doing something incredibly bold. And he is saying, you are the Christ. You, as a matter of fact, his words are in, in one of the other gospels, you are the Christ of God. You are the king of God. That's who you are. And oh, this is so overwhelming. And their relationship has now entered a new level. Now, really, the relationship for all of them is at a new level, but especially for Peter, right? Do you know that idea when a relationship goes into a new level? Do you remember, like, maybe you're, you've been on a road trip with someone and you've been friends for a long time and you know each other, and then, you, and then somebody asks you to go, you know, go on a trip with them. You're going to drive to Dallas with them. Well, as you drive, you start talking, and then all at once you hear yourself saying these words, you know, I don't know why I just told you that. Or you say, I've never told anyone that before. You know those kind of words? Whenever you say that, maybe it was when you said to someone, I love you, and you go to a new level when you say, I love you. Now, if they say, but I don't love you, then you go opposite way, right? <laughs> but it's that idea of going to a new level in this relationship that now Peter is not just learning. Peter has at least in some aspect gotten it. And the other apostles, it appears, are hearing this, or at least they're going to hear about it. And it goes on then in Matthew chapter 16 and verses 21 and 23 from what you see in this same context. <clears throat> from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he may, must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Let's stop there for a minute. He has just said, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the king. And Jesus says, yes, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because, because you didn't get that from people. You only got that from my father in heaven. That's what the Bible says. You only got that from him. And then Jesus says, now that you have gotten that I'm the king, now that you understand that I'm the, the Christ, the Messiah, we've got to go to Jerusalem where I'm going to be abused and persecuted by what we would call church people. It's the religious people. It's the, Now, obviously, it wasn't church. It was the Jewish church, so to speak. And so they're the ones who are going to do it at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And not only am I going to be abused and be mistreated and be misunderstood, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. 
does that even make sense? You're the king and you're going to die. That just, just blows my mind. It had to blow their minds. I'm seeing it on this side and it's hard to understand. But imagine what it's like on their, on their side. There's no way that could happen. So Peter then took Jesus aside and he began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Because, you know, Peter's going to be kind of, kind of tough and strong here, right? This will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, Peter is not Satan. He's not saying that. That's not, his name isn't, you know, one of his names is Cephas. His name is not Cephas Peter Satan. That's not his name. But it's this idea that Peter is throwing out there that is a, a temptation to Jesus to go a different way. He's tempted to go another way. And Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. Leave me. Get away. Because I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to do what I have to do, even if it hurts, even if it's painful, and even, even if it's not what I want as a human, I'm going to do it. It's funny to me, thinking about that idea of Satan. Barbara got me this cookie somewhere the other day that, you know one of those you get in some fancy place that they charge you four times as much for. You know what I'm talking about. And, and the cookie said, not today, Satan. Well, I thought, can I eat it if it says that? <laughs> so I've been eating little pieces of it because I thought, you know, I, I feel so bad eating that. So, but it's this idea that Satan, that, that Satan is tempting, so to speak, Jesus. And he says, I'm not going to have any of it. I'm going to do what's right. I am not going to give in. Now, I want to go back. When Jesus is saying, I'm not going to give in, what he's saying is he is going to carry his cross. Even though they don't understand that concept yet, he's going to carry his cross. And understand that discipleship is not a joke, and it is not for casual followers. Discipleship is a matter of life or death. One of the things that I love in life is I love living in the United States. I love the freedoms we have here. I have lived out of the country, so maybe in some ways I can appreciate those things more maybe than some people. I love the freedoms. I love the freedom to worship, the freedom to worship this morning, the freedom to worship tonight, the freedom to go to a small group like a lot of our folks are. That, that's great, isn't it? And people died for that, and we love it, and we celebrate it. But you know what the problem is with the freedom? It did not cost us anything but some gas to get here tonight. Or some electricity if we're watching at home. It didn't cost anything. I didn't pay anything for this. Matter of fact, I might have felt guilty if I didn't come. And so instead of wanting something to hurt, I came for that very reason. So I wouldn't hurt. See, it didn't cost me anything. And I love what I have, but, but the only thing, I mean, on Sunday morning, the only thing it costs me is me deciding, am I going to sleep in or not sleep in on Sunday morning, right? Well, in my case, I'd get fired. So, so you understand for the rest of us, though, that's what it is. And so Jesus says, that, or, or sometimes when Jesus says, carry your cross, we don't understand it very much because it's so incredibly easy to be a Christian here. 
Now, there are times that maybe someone says something that hurts our feelings or we have to stand up for our faith. It may be in an office where we are or wherever. But in general, living in Houston, Texas, it is not that difficult for most of us. I'm not saying move. Please don't move. But you understand. So what does it mean to follow absolutely? I mean completely give over to Jesus in everything. What does it mean to follow Jesus that way? Now, when you start looking at it absolutely, it doesn't matter if you live in Iran or if you live in Houston, it starts getting more difficult. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus was there and, Father, if there is any other way, please take this cup away. And you remember after those three prayers, what he is saying each time is, not my will, but your will be done. What he is doing is following his father, his father absolutely. So now the temptation comes in front of us. Maybe I am, I am able, without anybody knowing it, at least as far as I know, to get my hand or my fingers through my computer into the till of the company. And no one would know. And now here it is. No, it's following Jesus, absolutely. Maybe what it is is the way I party on Friday or Saturday night. And it's, no, it is to follow Jesus, absolutely. Maybe it's what I see on my computer screen. But what's tempted there, what I'm tempted by, it is follow Jesus, absolutely. And he said, well, we all sin. Absolutely we sin. That is the point and the beautiful thing of grace and the beautiful thing of the blood of Jesus that continually washes us from all sin. But where we are all headed is to get to the point that we no longer want to sin and we no longer want to do those things. We want to be away from those things. And so what it means to follow absolutely is I say in every instance of my life, every instance of my life, not my will but his. Maybe it's in the job I take. Maybe it's in the way I act in my job. Maybe it's what I do in my job. Maybe it's the way I treat my family or the way I acted toward my wife or my children, even on the way here. And I want you to understand this, and sometimes this is hard for us as well. Jesus doesn't go by my tradition or by my interpretation. Jesus is not interested in my tradition or my interpretation. Jesus is interested in my transformation. Understand what I'm saying? Now, if you said, my, my tradition, you know, for 200 years, my family has done this. We've fed the, we've fed the sick and we've cared for the, for the ill and we've, we've, we've taken care of people. He would say, great, that's a great thing. That's great. What I'm interested in is your heart. Are you doing that because it's your tradition? Are you doing that? Because you're doing it because you love me and you want to help people who are in need. It's not about, well, I can't do that because that's not my tradition or that's not the tradition of the church or tradition of the, of the elders or tradition of my family or whoever you want to say. No, this is about me being transformed to be, be more like Jesus. He's also not really interested in, well, my interpretation in order to work things around so that it benefits me. I don't know if you've ever done this. I've done it a lot, right? We do that. I do that with the speed limit, right? Don't we do that sometimes? We interpret it for ourselves. 
He said, I'm not interested in your interpretation. I'm interested in your transformation. I'm interested in you becoming more like me rather than you trying to get me to follow you. Boy, that's hard to do. But that's what he calls us to. You see, what I want to do, and I don't always do correctly, but I want to make his ways my ways. I want to say, Lord, I want to be more like you than I was yesterday, and tomorrow I want to be more like you than I was today. I want to be like you in everything. I want to give you my heart. I want you to come out in my language. I want you to come out in my, in my conversations. I want you to come out in my thinking. I want you to come out in my job. I want you to come out in the way I treat my family. I want it to be you, Father, your ways, not my ways. But sometimes when it's July and it's hot and it's humid and you're in traffic, you're not thinking very much about God's ways, are you? And sometimes, whenever we're with folks who don't care very much about God, sometimes it's not, we're not too worried about God's ways. And sometimes when the boss isn't fair to us and the boss is doing things that hurt us and hurt our feelings and doesn't appreciate our work, we're not thinking very much about God's ways. And it all comes back again, and I'm not giving you any type of formula on how to handle those things. Those are yours to figure out, not mine. But I want to make God's ways, Jesus' ways, my ways. I want to be like him. So what if, we're going to play a little game of what if here for a minute. What if following Jesus means loss of a job? Well, you know what people say sometimes? People say, well, I'd do that, you know, but I'd lose my job. I'd tell people about Jesus, but I'd lose my job. Well, I'm not trying to tell us all to just go out and lose your job. Don't do that. But at the same time, think about if it comes down to that, that would be what you would be willing to do. What if following Jesus means losing a job? What if following Jesus means losing a home? Wow, do you know how much, for those of you who own your house, do you know how much houses have skyrocketed over the last couple of years? How about if following Jesus cost us our homes? How about if following Jesus meant we were to lose our family or to lose a relationship? I remember my parents telling the story that after they were, they were baptized into Jesus that my dad's parents quit talking to them for months. They lived two blocks down the street. My mother and dad would say sometimes they would be out in the yard mowing the lawn or picking weeds or whatever, and my grandparents would drive by and they would look the other way so they didn't have to see my parents, their oldest son. It cost them a relationship, at least for a while. And then finally, if you want to know the end of the story, finally one day there were Christmas presents. My mother said they're on the front porch and they realized they were from my grandparents. And so they went over to my grandparents' house and they acted like everything was normal and no one ever talked about it again. Just moved on. And before my granddad died and before my dad died, my dad baptized my granddad. But it was a loss. How about if it's a loss of a family? How about if your own kids said they don't want to talk to you anymore? How about if your parents said they don't want to talk to you? How about if it was your spouse 
was to walk away. You know, in the book of 1 Corinthians, there's even provision given for that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 because that's exactly what was happening with spouses were walking away from the spouse that became a Christian. How about if that were to happen? How about if I were to lose money because I'm a Christian? How about if I didn't get a promotion because I'm a Christian and I have a different set of ethics, a different way of looking at life, or because there are things they know I don't participate in, therefore I won't be a part of that. Would you follow Jesus? Or would you find a way for Jesus to follow you? Or what if I had to give up what I think I know? You hear me here? There are some of us that we've gone to church for a long time. And I think of what a man told me one time years ago. He said to me, I'm an old man and I'm not changing my mind on anything. I appreciate that. I think he did change his mind over time on a couple of things before he moved on to the next world. I'm sure he changed his mind then on some things. But what if I remained a lifelong learner with an open mind of saying, oh, I thought for 50 years it was this way. Now I see something new. How about if it was I, was, I was dead set, but I was dead set interpreting through my lens and not through God's lens. I'm not trying to come up, come up with anything drastic or dramatic at all. I'm just saying my mind has to be open to God all the time. When I read the Bible to make the Bible say what I want it to say, I'm wrong. God says what the Bible says, not David. So coming at it in that way, I think, well, what if? What if it meant those things that made me a bit uncomfortable? What if? And so I think most of these things will never happen. I don't think I'll ever lose my house because I'm a Christian. I don't think I don't think I'm going to lose my family because I'm a Christian. Or I don't think I'm going to lose any of these things. But I need to think about them. So that I'll be prepared in case that day comes. Now, the obvious question for us tonight, I mean, maybe you've already thought of it, but what did Jesus give up for me? What did Jesus give up? He gave up heaven. He, he, he gave up his reputation for a while of people saying things about him. Those that were insignificant as well as those who thought they were really important. He gave it up. He gave up peace. As people, in one sense, he gave up peace as people are putting nails into his body. People are making fun of him. People are putting the, the crown of thorns on his head. He gave it up so that we may live. And I appreciated Jeremy's prayer tonight. Don't forget, Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. Because he gave up those things... His father lifted him up out of that grave, and he lives. Tonight, if you need to be baptized into Christ, if you need prayers, we want to help you. Come as we stand and sing.